Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to your lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes people who just have fascinating stories. Today's guest is Marlon Primes, a Cleveland attorney who has risen to the top of the legal profession while at the same time giving back to his community. Primes was an assistant U.S. attorney for more than 30 years and is now a partner in the law firm of Brennan Manna Diamond, handling complex civil litigation. He talks with us about the importance of the rule of law in America, his career, and how he feels he has a mission to assist his community. Marlon, you've had an absolutely stellar career. One of the things I, I'm interested in, uh, you were uh, an assistant U.S. attorney for uh, 30 years, three decades. Um, what prompted you as a young new lawyer to take that path? Well, um, I actually um, met a uh, judge who had uh, previously worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and um, I was working at a firm in Columbus and uh, didn't think that was going to be my future, and so I ended up applying uh, for a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I did not get it the first time around, uh, and then once I got another job, they called and says, hey, we want to hire you. And so, um, you know, I went ahead and interviewed and was fortunate enough to get the job and pass uh, the security clearance, and uh, the rest is history, so to speak. Most people think that the U.S. Attorney's Office as part of the Department of Justice is strictly criminal. However, you did a lot, in fact, your specialty was civil litigation, correct? Right, and that's kind of the misnomer. Um, the, the, um, and as you know, um, um, that uh, there are different uh, levels of government, um, you know, whether it be the city of Athens, the state of Ohio, uh, or the federal government, and each of those entities has attorneys uh, that represent uh, the individual employees of that entity. Uh, or the entity itself. And so the United States Attorney's Office basically is, uh, there are 94 federal judicial districts. Uh, each judicial district has a, 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 a U.S. attorney appointed uh, uh, by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and they have a permanent staff. And so the permanent staff is divided between criminal and civil. And the civil, the worst thing can happen, you owe some money. Uh, criminal, the worst thing can happen, you go to jail. And so I um, uh, did exclusively uh, civil litigation when I was there. 
there. So what that entailed was representing federal employees, representing federal agencies um, in state and federal court in the top half of Ohio, everything north of Mansfield, so to speak. But you did everything. You did everything from jury trials to uh, appellate work uh, in the Sixth Circuit. Yes. Uh, uh, so you really had a wide skill set. Uh, even in the civil area. Yes. I mean, that was one of the the benefits of, um, you know, working there that, you know, now that I'm in private practice, I know that we'll we'll get to that. Um, You know, a lot of people in private practice are very specialized and they work in one or two areas. But at the U.S. Attorney's Office, you are really um, working in a variety of areas. So in addition to doing, you know, basic uh, civil defensive litigation where you would represent a federal agency or federal employee that's being sued, um, I also was involved in uh, financial litigation because the United States is uh, uh, one of the biggest uh, um, landowners in the country. Uh, also, um, you know, we're the, um, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest creditors, uh, where there's a lot of debt that we have to collect on behalf of the federal government. So we're involved in that as well. And then I represented the IRS, uh, and the housing and urban development. So we're often involved in all the real estate transactions in the Northern District of Ohio and, and, and as well as my colleagues in other parts of the country as that, well. That's a, that's a pretty big portfolio. Yeah. And then you could, you know, you could, there could be bankruptcy, um, I also got involved in some criminal in the sense that um, uh, the civil division handled the habeas petitions. So I did quite a bit of habeas work. And as you know, habeas is basically a criminal appeal. Um, So I did quite a bit of that in um, uh, the district court and also in the uh, Sixth Circuit. Staying around for 30 years is probably not the norm. Uh, no, it is. It, it is. It, is? Well, it, it depends on the office. Um, you know, uh, you know, the offices in your larger cities, uh, particularly New York, um, uh, the Southern District of New York. Um, it, it seems as though there's a culture that 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 people go to the U.S. Attorney's Office, maybe after a clerkship or a few years of practice, right. and stay for you know a relatively short period of time, and then go back to a, a law practice or run for judge or thing of that sort. Uh, in the Northern District, um, I think. Um, um, there may have been one other person, one or two other pe- people that may have served longer than me. Uh, I think there was one person that had maybe 33 years. But they do have an incentive that you can retire with 30 years. So most people, you know, uh, once they reach that 30-year plateau, go ahead and retire. Um, so um, I felt that I was uh, too young to sit at home and, and watch TV. And uh, so I uh, decided to to venture on to a second career, and I'm a partner now at uh, the Cleveland office of Brennan Mann and Diamond. Let's stay with the Department of Justice just for a bit. It wasn't your time there wasn't always smooth. Yeah, uh, there you, were challenges. You filed a, a lawsuit against Attorney General Janet Reno. Talk, talk yeah. about that. Well, you know, one of the things you have to understand about the U.S. Attorney's Office is that um, – the supervisors there um, basically stay from administration to administration. So just because you have somebody that might be, you know, progressive as the attorney general, the person that you're going to deal with on a daily basis would could be a supervisor that was appointed by, you know, President Reagan. Um, so the department had some challenges um, historically. Um, you know, there was very little diversity. 
and uh, certainly um, it was a situation that uh, um, was probably one of the lower points in my career. But when I look back at that um, as a now a 58-year-old uh, man and have a re- having retired, I really kind of feel sorry for the people that, that, that really just uh, tried to go out of their way to uh, just make my life miserable. Because I think, you know, after you've um, been practicing law or in, engaged in any endeavor, what you should be thinking about is how do I pour myself into other people? How do I make them better? How do I make sure that there's the next generation is going to be able to carry on? And unfortunately, there are a group of people that, you know, just made it their mission uh, to try to make, you know, my, my life as miserable as they possibly can. But, you know, I think um, one of the things that I think is really important that I learned from that is just perseverance. And I Because you when stayed you look, longer yeah, after yeah, yeah. after that lawsuit, right? right I mean, right. you stayed quite a bit of time. Well, you know, what I told my wife is that I'm going to watch him leave. And they did. And the beauty of that situation and how things ebb and flow is that uh, I uh, got a new U.S. attorney that came in, uh, President Obama's uh, U.S. attorney who basically cleaned house, new supervisor. Someone really gave me finally a chance, and I was able to blossom. I became the uh, first government lawyer to lead the um, Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association, which is the largest and, bar in uh, – Metropolitan Bar in Ohio. And it, it, it – if I understood it correctly, it combined the Cleveland Bar Association right. with the Cuyahoga County Bar Association exactly. Exactly. into the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar exactly. Association. Exactly. And not only were you the first uh, U.S. attorney, but you were the first African-American uh, to to head that type of organization. That is true. That is true. Um, the, uh, the Cleveland Bar, uh, which is a predecessor organization, actually was founded in 1873, several years before the American Bar. Uh, and the Cleveland community actually is the, the area where a lot of your national law firms were born. Uh, Jones Day, Squire Sanders, Thompson Hine. So they were really on the cutting edge of just um, you know forming the modern uh, law firm. Uh, so um, that organization uh, existed. Then you had your county bar association. And so, um, you know, it was decided that it made sense to have one voice as opposed to two. And so the bar, um, you know, combined itself about, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so um, and the, the, the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association had two African-American presidents, one in the 70s and one in the 90s. So I'm the third African-American president of the largest bar association in Cleveland, but the first um, African-American of the president combined. of the combined bar, the city and state bar. Mm-hmm. Staying with the, your role as a U.S. attorney since it was such a significant part of your legal career, uh, how do you feel about all the hits that the Department of Justice now are taking in the media, in political discourse? Um, you've spent your life upholding the rule of law and, and following that rule of law, whether it was in your favor or not. Uh, do you have feelings ab- about that attack? Uh, yeah, I, I think the people have to understand is that you know, no organization is perfect. Um, you know, there are, you know, any organization or any entity of government is made up of people. Uh, but I think on balance, you know, that uh, the people there try to do the right thing. I mean, you obviously have outliers on any, in any administration. You have outliers in any organization. 
but, you know, on balance, you know, they do try to do the right thing. It's a very difficult job to do. And, you know, I think as an alumni that they try to do their best to, to uphold the rule of law. And it's, it's a very difficult, you know, balance um, to, to, to walk uh, because, you know, there are political influences and that's just kind of a part of life. And I think they, they do try to make sure they're, you know, walking the tightrope because there are a number of people that are within the Department of Justice that are career people um, that try to make sure that they're making decisions, you know, not based on political considerations, but they're trying to make decisions based upon the rule of law and ensuring there's going to be respect for the rule of law. And, and looking at your 30 years, that's exactly what you did. That, yeah, I, did. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. see a political decision among your litigation. That That is true. You know, we uh, basically try to call balls and strikes as you see them. You have a great deal of discretion. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, as you know, yeah. from just practicing. But yeah, that's definitely you know what I tried to do, and 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 one of the things that that uh, put the cherry on top in terms of my time is you know despite the ups and downs that I had at the Department of Justice to be able to leave and 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 see some of the things that my colleagues said about me, the folks that I was in the foxhole with for thirty years, and uh, one of the things that that really touches me the most is uh, the U.S. Attorney um, just before I departed, you know, uh, said that I was a conscience of the office, or you know that I had a heart of gold and I treated people fairly. And, and those are the things at the end of the day uh, that mean the most to me. Um, and, and those are the things that I really take the most pride in. You, uh, throughout your career, both in uh, public service and in private practice, have uh, really evidenced a passion, I would say, my word, to reach out to young attorneys, to uh, young members of the bar, to help educate them, to help uh, prepare them uh, for some of the perhaps ethical and other uh, barriers that they may come across in their practice. Did you always have that passion to reach out? Yeah, um, I think that when when I did that program that I told you about, the right. Council Legal Education Opportunity Program, the whole idea behind that was not only to prepare us for law school, um, but what was kind of instilled in us is that it's important wherever you land after you get your law degree. The whole idea of this program is to make sure you make any community that you land in a little bit better than you found it. Um, so that was a, a motivation. Certainly, you know, the example I got from my parents, um, you know, they were foster uh, uh, ch- uh, foster parents uh, raising, you know, some 40 kids coming in and out of our home. Uh, so when you grow up in a household where, you know, your family, your mom and dad, you know, are constantly working to try to, you know, make sure we got the best education that money could buy, uh, that stuff just is going to rub off on you. And then the cherry on top with, you know, being told again, it's a wider perspective. It's not just about you, you know, making a fortune for yourself, but it's important that you, you know, give something back. So I've tried to do that throughout my time. Yeah, you did that uh, in your community. You did that through the uh, Ohio Supreme Court, even yeah. uh, uh, reaching out to to young attorneys. I was, uh, I, I was impressed with the advice you gave them. Do you remember what you said to the young attorneys in that video? 
You know what? I uh, Yeah, one of the things is that, you know, it's important for professionalism. I think that was a yeah. video that you were talking about. Um, you know, it's it's okay to disagree, but, you know, you don't want to be necessarily disagreeable. Um, trying to get along, looking at the larger picture. Because sometimes we get so myopic about, hey, it's just this individual case. But it's a lot more than that. It's it's about, you know, making sure at the end of the day, uh, people feel as though they're being treated fairly. And we're a part of that process as lawyers. We're not um, devoid from that process. And so I think you need to carry yourself uh, to make sure that when the smoke clears, uh, that you were advocating on behalf of your client, but you also advocating in a fashion that's going to be uh, something that's going to be beneficial um, to how people perceive the practice of law and, perceive, uh, and, and lawyers in general. In all my time on the bench, uh, my goal always was that people could walk out upset that they lost, but know that they were treated fairly and know that they were heard. People just want to be heard sometimes. I think that's absolutely right, and and I think a lot of times, um, you know, we really miss that. Um, and I think you know there are a lot of lawyers that that miss that, and as a consequence, are not able to settle a case. Sometimes it's just uh, an apology, or hey, you're a good worker, or we appreciate you. Those things can go a long way, as you know, as a, a former judge in terms of resolving cases. Because you're absolutely right, a lot of times a lawsuit is filed because a person doesn't feel they're being heard. And to the extent that, you know, through the process, whether you're a judge or whether you're a litigant, making sure that person has their opportunity. And if you're a defense attorney saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, but here's what the law says, and this is why you don't have a claim. That's really important, not only for that litigant, but it's important for the overall legal process. We understand what you're saying. We understand your point of view. We know that you think it's valid, however, and, and then you explain uh, the law behind the, the decision. And then the, the, and then the other important thing, I think that's absolutely right, but I think the mistake that you know some lawyers make, not, not all, but just because that person files a suit uh, doesn't make you a bad person. That's what makes our country uh, you know, a great country, that anybody can bring a lawsuit. So you know, we want to be able to explain, okay, this is what you thought, this is what the law says, and this is a fair resolution of your claim, as opposed to, and I'm sure you saw it in your courtroom, hey, you know, someone denigrating someone because they have a good faith belief that they have a claim. As a litigator, uh, I always had to fight my tendency to be hyper-competitive. <laughs> and... Um, not to win at all costs, but it was more important to me sometimes to just win than what I was actually winning or who I was winning for. And that bothered me. That, that, that eventually I, I left practice because of that. It's a very competitive process, um, and and I think you know if you're you're an effective advocate, you have to be microscopic and you have to be macroscopic. You know, I think it's important to uh, zealously represent your client. You know, be competitive, 
but you want to do it within the confines of the law. You don't want to, you know, you can't create facts. The facts are what the facts are. And, you know, I think what you have to do, what I tell myself and also I tell others, is that you put your best foot forward. You zealously represent your client, and then you leave it to the fact finder to make the determination. You're not going to win every case, and just because you lose one doesn't make you an ineffective advocate. You just basically have to zealously represent the client, bring up the appropriate issues, and let the finder of fact um, you know, make his or her determination. I think where the law gets construed, misconstrued rather, is when, you know, you know, lawyers take it personally and they have to win at all costs. And Or I have to beat him or her on the other side. You know, I, I have to 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 prove myself. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and you're absolutely right. That is a problem. And and I think, you know, to the legal system's credit in and especially in Ohio, you know, there've been additional courses. I know um, the Supreme Court has spoken Require out Require professional exactly, conduct. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I want to talk about your private practice because you you now are representing all kinds of uh, organizations, uh, major corporations, major medical facilities. Uh, you do some investigations on internal matters. Uh, it, it, is it really that much different? There's, there's a lot of similarities uh, between um, you know what I did in uh, private practice and you know uh, what I've uh, what I'm doing in private practice and what I uh, do in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, of course, at the U.S. Attorney's Office, you know you're not uh, uh, billing clients. Right. Uh, you're not <laughs> actually trying to look for clients. They come to your door. Um, there are a lot of similarities. A law, you know, you know, definitely is the same. Um, but there are obviously, you know, different challenges uh, because, you know, getting clients, keeping clients is something new uh, in terms of, um, uh, of the process. But you're right. I do do corporate investigations um, uh, on a variety of different issues. Um, I represent corporate clients. I also do some plaintiff's work as well. So I do both plaintiff and defense, but primarily defense. And, you know, if you look at the, the, the people that you represent um, – then all of a sudden you're representing a uh, worker, a, a an employee, uh, in some types of, of racial uh, issues, um, and and one first of all, how did you decide to take that case, and 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 how did that fit in with your portfolio within the firm, or did they give you freedom to? pursue that kind of case? Well, I mean, there was obviously a run-up um, because, um, you know, working at working at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I didn't have a book of business. So when I arrived at my new employer, sure. Brennan Man and Diamond, you had to, you know, work with other attorneys that had existing cases. Um, so what I did is I kind of used my expertise um, with you know other existing cases and saw where I could help out and there were some plaintiff cases where we're representing plaintiff, uh, but primarily there were cases involving defendants. But since I've been there, I've been able to attract a you know number of clients of my own. Um, and what I really kind of look at is um, number one, you want to look at the facts of the particular case. Um, you want to first see what. Second, see what the client's objective is, and can you achieve that objective? And you want to be really honest with the um, the uh, uh, the client about you know what is a possible result. The other important thing that I think is really important in terms of how I select cases is uh, you don't ever want 
to, to be involved in litigation where, you know, it's a retaliation suit where it really doesn't yeah. have any basis right. in law and fact, but they're trying to uh, achieve an objective of punishing. And that's where I think the law goes wrong. And I've been involved in a few cases on the other side. And, it, it, and it's just, you know, very damaging to our overall legal system. So it's important it as lawyers. It cuts to the credibility it of really the system. Does. It really does. So I think, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with the client. And we have to make sure the client has proper objectives. So, um if I find the client does not have proper objectives, I- I'm not going to be involved with that. Two other things I want to talk to you about. Um, you know, if you look at the law, the law seems in this modern day of technology and AI and misinformation, uh, we always seem to be catching up. We're never at the forefront. We're always behind. I saw uh, one of your cases was an internet defamation case, which is is fascinating in the sense that I don't even think we've seen the tip of the iceberg of what may come uh, in those areas. Uh, How do you feel about plowing new ground on topics such as that? Well, that's going to be a huge area because, you know, when you and I were coming up in Ohio University, there was no such thing called the social media or the Internet. Um, You pretty much had to depend upon getting that information from a major news organization uh, or from, you know, a, a television station. Um, and so what's really interesting in terms of, you know, this new space that we're in is that each individual is the equivalent of the New York Times now in terms of the reach. And so oftentimes, you know, people don't recognize um, the, the issues in terms of defamation and libel. Um, so I think there, there definitely needs to be more done in terms of educating students uh, educating, you know, just the general public that you can put something out and it could be very damaging to someone's career, their 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 livelihood, and it could have no basis in law and fact. Um, so, you know, I was glad to be a, a part of that case uh, because I was able to get a very good settlement on behalf of the client uh, and able to educate as well. So, I mean, that was a perfect opportunity for me. But I think this is going to be a, a, a really, you know, a huge area. I hope Ohio University, um, you know, gets more more involved the journalism program, yes. Yes. Uh, not only in, in the, the idea of training uh, future lawyers, but also training journalists, uh, also doing more to educate the general public about, you know, you have this great medium of getting information on the World Wide Web, but do you, what is your responsibilities and what better people to really educate than the Ohio University School of Journalism? Right. I I agree 100%. The last area I want to talk to you about is your wife being an author of a children's book, Walking in Ava's Shoes. Um, I know you're very proud of that. Talk to us about that. Very proud of it. Uh, my wife, uh, Kathy Howard Primes, uh, is also uh, an Ohio University graduate, and we met on this campus. Uh, we were both uh, uh, chapter presidents of uh, student organizations and got a chance to know each other through that process and uh, were the proud parents of two children. And anyone who has multiple children knows that they each learn differently. They're different. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, our daughter, Kayla, um, very smart, 
but she just learned differently. And so, you know, through that process of raising Kayla, we had to be educated because when you and I, you know, were coming up, um, you know, somebody who couldn't get sit still, you know, the solution was we were going to give them a whipping or they're going to get detention. We didn't really understand. And the Back prop- in the old days, sit them in the corner. Exactly, with a dunce <laughs> cap on. You know, you might get a paddling. Sure. And, and the problem is, in not understanding ADHD, a lot of those kids end up dropping out or falling behind. So we weren't really doing a service to them as a society. So Kayla's journey was really, you know, understanding and accepting that, hey, she learned differently and getting her the help that she needed. And we put her in a new school, um, Beaumont, uh, uh, all-girls school in uh, Cleveland Heights. And uh, they had an intervention specialist that helped her. And initially thought that, you know, Kayla wasn't going to be able to go on to to college. And we encouraged her. Uh, She graduated uh, from Howard University with honors. And uh, now she uh, told me, she says, Dad, you know what? I'm going to law school. So so it's a really good story of just perseverance. Um, Great credit to my wife for really just hanging there in there with Kayla. When other people lost patience, uh, Kathy said, hey, I'm going to hang in there. And she did so, and as a consequence, Kayla's been able to achieve. And so that book, Walking in Ava's Shoes, is really just a love story. It just is a journey uh, of my wife and my daughter just saying, I'm not going to give up on you. I am going to take you with me, and I'm going to ensure that you reach your goals. And so I really love the book. I really love Kayla's journey. And I'm really excited about you know the wonderful things that she'll do in the future because of the, the great support that uh, Kayla received from my wife, Kathy, and uh, the great support she received at Beaumont. Marlon, I could talk with you all day, but I know you have other commitments. I want to thank you for discussing the law and your career with us and giving your insights. Well, thank you so much, Judge Hodgson. It's always a, a pleasure to, to be with you and uh, want to comment, uh, commend you on your great career uh, as well. Thank you. And also, I just want to commend Ohio University. This is where everything started. And I developed my love of radio. I developed my love of public service and uh, uh, honored to be back at Ohio University and honored to be uh, able to continue to serve. Thank you. Thank you. Today's guest, Marlon Primes, a former assistant U.S. attorney, talked about the importance of the rule of law and the need to give back to his community. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please send them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>